Amen. Revelation chapter 19. How many are ready to get in the Word this morning? Revelation chapter 19. We're getting close, right, Carol? We're getting real close. Chapter 22 is when we is, is the end. And right now we're in chapter 19. By the time we are done in our study of Revelation, we will have spent close to five months in this book. Mostly one chapter a week. Sometimes we've been able to do a little bit better than that. There have been breaks. There's been missionaries. There's been holiday teachings mixed in there. But the entire study will consist of close to five months. Now, the truth is this, that most of the messages during those, during those months have been kind of brutal, kind of bloody, kind of violent, right? Because it is the book of Revelation. But it is not a book that is filled with hopelessness. It is a book that is filled with grace. We went over the judgments. We went over the tribulation. The word tribulation literally means pain and misery and hardship. My prayer is that in the midst of what seems like hopelessness, we see God's gracious hand at work. Amen? We want to see God's gracious hand continually reaching out, and that's what He does throughout all of Revelation, reaching out to bring salvation to those who are lost. Because that's what He does. That's how gracious He is. This morning, I am excited to preach to you a chapter in Revelation that is mostly, say mostly, mostly filled with celebration and victory. Mostly very positive. Amen? If uh, I was to title this message, I was thinking of a title, and there's no better one I can think of than borrowing from Tolkien with the return of the king. This is chapter 19, the return of the king. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the message this morning. Lord, even as I was studying for this, even as I was preparing it, you know that my heart is that it would be filled with you and empty of me. That we would be led by your spirit and led ultimately towards your glory. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the teaching this morning and how it guides us towards where you're prayerfully leading all of us. We thank you and praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Revelation chapter 19, the return of the king. If you'll remember uh, the last few weeks, chapter 17 and 18, we talked about the two Babylons. How many remember that? The two Babylons, we saw a different perspective on the seven-year period known as the tribulation. Say tribulation. We saw the fall of the religious Babylon, and then we saw last week the fall of the commercial or the marketplace Babylon. This week, we are done with the tribulation. Say amen. We are done with the tribulation in full. We are now past the time of tribulation and we get to experience the time of victory. Amen? Say victory. 19, Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 6 says this. Uh, starting with verse 1, it says, Rejoicing in heaven. After this, I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. Now, this is John the Revelator is telling us what he sees and hears. That's what he's saying. This is what he sees and hears. There's no reason. Now, a lot of revelation is figurative. 
Some of it's literal, some of it's figurative. We want to try to figure out which, which is what. There's no reason to believe that this isn't literally happening before him and will literally happen one day soon here. When will it happen? Soon. Amen? How many know? Anybody know the day? No. When? Soon. When will it happen? Soon. And this is what he hears. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! Say Hallelujah! The smoke goes up from her forever and ever. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen, Hallelujah! Say Hallelujah! And from the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God to all his servants, all you his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Verse 6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! Say, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Amen? Hallelujah! Most commentaries can't help but look at these distinct verses and, and, and find four distinct words within these verses. How many want to guess what those words are? Hallelujah. 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 And guess what? Hallelujah. Amen? That's what the four distinct words are. Now, this is a Hebrew word that means praise the Lord. Amen? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Guzik, David Guzik tells us in his commentary, Listen to this. This is very interesting that it is thought to be an angelic word which cannot be fully reproduced by the language of men. It embodies all the blessedness of heaven. He notes that some seem afraid of saying hallelujah or hallelujah, but will all be saying it in heaven. It's such a wonderful word, we should never use it without thinking. It is such a wonderful word we should never use it without thinking. Mark, say hallelujah. Hallelujah, good. Steve, say hallelujah. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. That's what Mike, say hallelujah. Hallelujah, good man. I uh, grew up with a lady in church. Little old Hispanic lady that very lovely, loved the Lord. And every time the pastor said nearly anything, Steve, she would say hallelujah. And it was that kind of cadence. It was, hallelujah. Jenny, say hallelujah. Close. It was close. Say hallelujah. Perfect. Every time the pastor said something, and it was great. It was, it was uh, man, Jesus was born on Christmas Day, and she'd say, hallelujah. And, you would, and then the pastor would say, uh, boy, we're, we had a women's conference this last weekend, and she would say, Hallelujah. Anything that the pastor said, she would say hallelujah. Then one day he was making announcements and he announced that either somebody in the church was very sick or had died. And the church was dead silent. 
But out from the middle of the crowd, you heard. <laughs> Hallelujah. After that, we heard it once in a while, but not nearly as much. The truth is, there's a time and a place for hallelujah, amen? You don't go to the drive-thru and, and they give you your you know, order, you know, hallelujah. I mean, you could. That's something you could do, right? Well, that'll be 375. Sir. Oh, hallelujah. I thought it was going to be more. If there's any place for a hallelujah, for a word that means praise the Lord, it is in this passage as we are about to witness what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb. Somebody say hallelujah. We're about to encounter this marriage supper in verse 7. It says this. Let us rejoice and exalt and give Him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and His bride, say His bride, has made herself ready. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen in the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Hallelujah. Now, in case you're not familiar with what the marriage supper of the Lamb means, in case you're not familiar with what this entails, let me share this joy with you this morning, right? When Jesus returns, the Bible says he is coming for his bride. His bride is the church. Amen? His bride is the church. One minister said this, they are the ones who love Jesus. They are his followers. They are those who ache with longing to be with their Lord and Master. They are those who have made the decision to serve Jesus with all their heart, all their soul, and all their being. They are the ones whom Jesus cleanses and purifies. They will be a glorious church without spot or wrinkle. In a word, they will be holy. Say holy. Hallelujah. The relationship between a husband and a wife should be an earthly example of the relationship between Christ and the church. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5.25. It says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. Verse 26, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word. Say the Word. That He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. When the Lord returns, He is coming back for a holy bride. Amen? He is coming back for a holy bride church. The marriage supper is the first of two feasts that we see in Revelation 19. In the hours before Jesus is crucified in Matthew 26, specifically Matthew 26, 29, in the hours before he's crucified, he says these words. He says, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day that I drink it with you new with you in my Father's kingdom. I want you to think about that for a minute. That verse, we're going to take communion here in a little bit. 
at the end of the service, towards the end of the service, we're going to take communion together. And as the Lord is taking communion, just before He's going toward the cross, He says to His disciples, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until that day when I drink it with you in my Father's kingdom. What we are seeing in Revelation 19 is that day. That's the day. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Say hallelujah. How many know it is the day we anticipate with eagerness? Amen. What a glorious day that will be. Amen. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. When I look upon his face, the one who saved me by his grace, as he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, what a glorious day that will be. That's the day that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 26. I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the marriage supper. And that's now. The angel speaking to John, he says this. He says, write this. Blessed are you who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Write this down. You are blessed if you were invited. Let me tell you, if you have made Jesus Lord of your life, if he's the Savior of the soul, if he's the joy of your salvation, you are invited to the marriage supper. Amen? If you're, if you're part of the body of Christ, you're there. Steve, save me a seat. Amen? Maybe I'll save you a seat. I don't know how, I don't know how it'll work. I don't know if you're allowed to save seats. I don't know. I don't know how it'll go. John hears all of this. Now, this is tremendous. John hears all of this, and he does something so foolish. You say, Pastor David, what could, what could he do? John hears all of this tremendous stuff, hallelujah stuff, right? And he does something entirely foolish. Verse 10 says this. You wouldn't think that in the midst of all this he would do this, but he does. He says, I fell down at his feet to worship him. The person he was falling down before was not Jesus. It was an angel. And the angel said this, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Say spirit, prophecy. In case there's any confusion, let's make it clear right now. We are not called to worship the angels. Amen? I understand that even today there is a trend towards angel worship. We are not called to worship the angels, for they are a creation of God. We are not called to worship creation. We are only called to worship Creator. Amen? Listen, to worship anything less than, the, than our Creator is false worship. To worship anything less than our Creator is false worship. The angel sees John start to bow down, and he goes, dude, don't do that. Dude is what I added in. That's not a paraphrasing of the King James or anything like that. You're not going to find that in, a, in, in any kind of translation. Or maybe you might nowadays. I don't know. That's kind of... Dude, don't do that. I am just a fellow servant. We are serving the Lord together, is what he says. For the testimony of Jesus 
is the spirit of prophecy. This is important. If you are hearing prophecy that doesn't point you towards Christ, it is false prophecy. If you are hearing prophecy that does not point you towards Jesus, it is false prophecy. John makes this mistake. It seems weird. It seems strange, but he quickly corrects it. Say quickly. How many know that when you make a mistake, the best thing you can do is quickly correct it? I'm sorry, honey. I'm very, very sorry. Uh, quickly correct it. Amen. Doug, how many know? Uh, you, you know when you make a mistake, right? Quickly correct it, man. You don't want to uh, uh, wallow in that, right? You don't want Carol to find out later. You say, Carol, I'm sorry now. Carol's going to punch him. Is what she said. John makes a mistake. He, he corrects it quickly. And then he sees this. This is incredible. Remember I said the, the title of this message is The Return of the King. That's what this is about right here. Verse 11. Then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has his name written that no one knows but himself. Verse 13 says, He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven arraigned in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them, say rule them, with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Listen, when Jesus comes back, he's not coming back as a wimp. He's coming back as a warrior. He's not coming back as some pansy. He's coming back as a warrior. I like what Mark Driscoll said, a pastor out of Arizona. He said this. I love this. There's a strong drift towards the hard theological left. Some emergent types want to recast Jesus as a limp-wrist hippie in a dress with a lot of product in his hair. He drinks decaf coffee and makes pithy Zen statements about life while shopping for the perfect pair of shoes. In Revelation, Jesus is a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and a commitment to make someone bleed. That is a guy I can worship. I cannot worship the hippie diaper halo Christ because I can't worship a guy that I could beat up. I fear some are becoming more cultural than Christian. And without a big Jesus who has authority and hates sin as revealed in the Bible, we will have less and less Christians and more and more confused, spiritually self-righteous critics of Christianity. Jesus isn't coming back as a wimp. He's coming back as a warrior. I hope that you can hear the truth in that statement. When Jesus comes back, he's coming back in power. He's coming back in authority. And he's coming back to make some people bleed. 
Now, remember, I just told you a little bit ago that Revelation 19 is filled with mostly celebration and victory. Right? Mostly celebration and victory. And then I told you that there's, there's two feasts in Revelation 19. There's first one is the marriage supper of the Lamb. That's we want to be a part of. Amen? Hallelujah. We want to be a part of that one because victory is only for the true church and for the Lion of Judah. Amen? The second feast is for those who Christ is about to demolish. Verse 17 says this, Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and with a loud voice he called all the birds that fly directly overhead, Come and gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all men, free and slaves, small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and his army. You see, the beast and the kings of the earth and the armies that follow them, they have gathered together against Christ. They have one goal to destroy the Savior. That is their one goal. Destroy the master. The angel then calls out the birds. Hey, we already had one feast, but there's about to be a second, and you're invited. Birds, come on, you're invited to this feast. We don't want to be a part of that feast, amen? We don't want to be a part of that feast. It says this in verse 20, then the beast was captured. It didn't last very long. The beast, the armies, coming against the Savior. Next verse, right there, the beast was captured. And with it, the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These, through, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Verse 21, And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds, say birds, gorged with their flesh. Boy, it's a gruesome end to the enemies of God. It is a gruesome end to the enemies of God. In a, in, a, in a chapter that's filled with victory, we see the devastation of those who deny the Lordship of Christ. The ruin of those who reject the gift of the Creator. Right? One minister said this. This is important because people hear this and they go, wait a minute. How can a compassionate God do this? One minister said, how can a compassionate God do such a thing? Yet such a question forgets that God is at one and the same time a God of love and a holy God of justice. To ask the question is to ignore the devastating consequences of sin. We must remember the number of times in the book God has offered them forgiveness if they were willing to repent. He offered them salvation time and time and time again for as long as it was possible. And they rejected him time and time and time again. 
for as long as it was possible. And now they are a part of the feast, but it's a very different feast than they were expecting. The beast and the false prophet are now in the lake of fire. They are now in, uh, and by the way, you should know that when this happens, they will remain there for eternity. Satan will be there with them also. And the Bible tells us that Satan will be there for a thousand years. But that's in the next chapter. And we'll get to it next week. Amen? Somebody say hallelujah. It's a brutal end for the enemy, but we rejoice in the victory. Amen? Hey, that's what we're called to. We're called to be victorious. Amen? You say, Pastor David, it's brutal. Listen, when I look forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, when I look forward to Him drinking the cup of the vine with us, man, until then, you say, what are we, what are we, what are we doing until then? Until then, we continue to look upon His far-reaching grace and His everlasting mercy as He calls out to us to reject the enemy and embrace the gift that he gave us at the cross. Amen? Amen. If you'll stand with me this morning.